praise of that verse. I think it is characteristic of the people that we have been talking about, people who have become careless, calloused about their worship. And I think the reason for it is identified here. Let me read just the last phrase from the word, And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. I want that to stand in contrast to the other verses that we'll be reading together. Absolute and total contrast to the truths that we will share with you before communion today. The thirteenth verse of the chapter states, Your words have been stout against me saith the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken so much against thee? The Lord responds, you have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinances, that we have walked in mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, and they that work wickedness, they are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Then, now underscore the word then because it is a time word. And the time is important to the fact that in the midst of all of that attitude, when that was the prevailing attitude and philosophy of the majority, then, in the midst of that kind of atmosphere, they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written for them that, and underscore it again, feared the Lord. And that thought upon his name, they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. For I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. The day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Here it is again. But, conjunction of contrast and change, always. When you have a word but, it means that whatever has preceded it, the exact opposite will follow. But, unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. And the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts, remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth 
with a curse. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we share together a belief that this word has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God wrote as they were breathed upon and moved by the Holy Spirit. We are also aware that we cannot approach this time today simply as sharing ideas. But I pray for the same Holy Spirit who inspired these words to be present now to help us. May the Spirit of God communicate to the spirit of every man, every woman, every child in this room this morning. May it change us, make us stronger, healthier, happier, more mature, more fulfilled than we were if we would not be exposed to your truth. Lord, be pleased with what we do now. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Picking up the thread from last Sunday, comparing what we were sharing with you concerning the predominant and prevailing attitude and philosophy of the people of God during this segment of time, still going through the rituals of religion, going through the actions and performing the deeds that they had been instructed to under the law and yet had deteriorated in a very marked way so that the Lord of the universe was being treated very carelessly and very casually in what they were offering to him and the way they were approaching him. And the attitude of their heart was being reflected in the verses that we read from verse 13. An attitude that was saying, in fact, what profit is there in serving God? What benefit do I derive from being obedient by serving the Lord? What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances and have walked mournfully before him? It seems as though the proud are preferred. It seems that they are the happier seems as though those that do wicked are set up and those that tempt God are delivered and they had developed a very distorted view of their relationship with God but in the midst of that God always maintains a remnant of people who have a heart toward him it's been true throughout history all through the Old Testament and I'm confident that it's still true today that in the midst of a, of a lot of mechanical religious activity in the world there are those who have a heart for God and those who can be characterized by the title that the Holy Spirit gives them in these verses they that feared the Lord and the response that comes from inside of them because of their concept and attitude toward him. 
And the things that we were sharing with you last week are born out of the fact that they had lost that reverence and that fear of God. And the Holy Spirit identifies it as such, and feared not me, saith the Lord. They had forgotten who owned the store. We talked to you about that, and we need to keep in our minds a clear vision as to the fact that God has created all things. All things were created by him, and what? For him. And he has been gracious enough to let us work in the store. So I think we ought to be honest employees and not embezzle from him. Because he has so blessed us and has so favored us and positioned us on this planet and in his divine economy of things that we need to keep in clear focus who he is and where we fit in relationship to him. They that feared the Lord, and I think there is a relationship, very vital connection, in our acknowledging who he is, and we talked about tithing last Sunday morning, and I think that that is just an expression. It's not a fundraising idea. It is an expression of our acknowledgement of who owns the store, of his lordship. Some asked me after the service, Pastor, do you believe in tithing? And I didn't know that I had left that vague. <laughs> and I said, oh, absolutely I do. I think that it pre predates the law, and I think it's not just a legal something that we get locked into, God forbid. And that was the point I was trying to make. But I think that there is an expression of lordship that we, that we give. And if you remember the principle, for those of you who weren't here, and to refresh our minds, let's just restate it. God always reserves something for himself in the area, in the physical realm, in the area where man makes his living to remind man that he is owner of all things. How many remember that principle? Just so that we are refreshing our minds. I think it is an expression to him, an acknowledgement of his ownership in our life. And it doesn't just involve finances. I think he is the Lord of time, talent, energy. He's worthy because of who he is. I said in the early service, from my own personal experience, I'm grateful to God for a father who taught me uh, his grasp of the Lordship of Christ. And this isn't a doctrine that I've come to understand just recently, but this is the way he presented it to me. When I was a preteen and earned my first 50 cents, he helped me with my arithmetic. And he worked out with me what 10% of that translated out to. And he supervised my first expressions of lordship to God. 
It blessed me and continues to bless me. And I can say to you from that time until this day, I don't know that I have ever received another 50 cents that I have not first taken out and returned to God what was his. Say, why do you say that? Well, I practice what I preach, and I think that's important to you. Is it? You know, there was a, a particular sermon that was given, and one of the pastor's children asked of his father after the service was over. He said, Dad, does that really work, or was that just for preaching? And so, you know, we need to answer that question at times. Does that really work, or is that just sermon material? Is that just for preaching? Now, I want you to know, I practice what I preach, and I have proven the blessing of the Lord that follows. We live in, a, in an age, I think, that amplifies for us in a way that no other generation could appreciate the vastness of the God that we worship and serve. Technology has enabled us to see Father and to explore more the world of distance and the world internally that we appreciate more and more the marvelous handiwork of the Creator. And to fear the Lord. And that concept if is missing, I think, we begin to respond to the Lord much like the first three chapters that we have shared with you. But for those who maintain the fear of the Lord, there are some dynamic promises that follow for us this morning. There have been some attempts made to help us to visualize the vastness of the creation that God has placed us in. And even with those visual aids, it's very difficult for us to mentally be able to accept and digest just how vast that is. National Geographic carried an article not too long ago that did that for us. And they used as a starting point for the equation a piece of paper and identified the thickness of that piece of paper to represent the distance between Earth and the Sun. 93 million miles distance, represented by the thickness of this paper. So that would give us some perspective as to the vastness of the universe. It would take about eight minutes, or a little better than eight minutes, for light to leave the sun, traveling at the speed of 186,280 or so odd miles per second, about eight minutes to get from here to here. Pretty good 
distance, 93 million miles. And then on that basis to say, if we were to desire to travel to the nearest star this morning, it would take us traveling at the speed of light, which only takes eight seconds, or eight minutes rather, from the sun to earth, it would take you four and one-third years to reach the first star. Can you imagine that? Now, my mind struggles with that kind of dimension, and even with the visual aids, it's difficult for me to look at this piece of paper and say, that's 93 million miles. Tough to do. But if you were to use this as the standard, equaling 93 million miles, it would be a, a stack of paper 90, or rather 71 feet in height, each sheet representing 93 million miles. From the floor to that top ceiling is 50 feet. Add 20 more feet on top and you would have a stack of paper that high if each sheet represented 93 million miles. And the light traveling from the sun to earth in eight minutes, traveling from earth to that planet would take you four and one-third years. And then the article went on to draw even more distance the galaxy in which the Earth is found, the Milky Way, the diameter they have estimated to be 100,000 light years long. Now that's across town. We have been here, the history of man, 6,000 years. Now that gives you some perspective, and they're talking about 100,000 light years if you traveled at the speed of light, 186,282 miles per second, for 100,000 years, you would get across town. Or, it would be a stack of paper, each one representing 93 million miles, 310 feet tall. No, I'm sorry, 310 miles, about from here to Philadelphia. And then they said, with the telescopes that they have, they project that the outer limits of the universe that they can identify are 10 billion light years away. Now, you're going to have to think about that. Not thousands, millions, but billion, ten billion light years away. Or a stack of paper. <laughs> According to the National Geographic, 31 million miles high or one-third the way to the sun. How big is God? How big and wide his vast domain? 
To try to tell These lips can only start He's big enough To rule this mighty universe Yet small enough To live within my heart How big is God How big and wide His vast domain Hallelujah To try to tell These lips can only start He's big enough to rule this mighty universe, yet small enough to live within my heart. Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Oh, and they that feared the Lord. They that feared the Lord. There are three kinds of fear. There's a superstitious fear. A fear that Avoids black cats crossing in your path, walking under a ladder, breaking a mirror, flights with the number 666, writing a check for $13. You know, I know of a friend, Christian man, would not write a check for $13. Superstitious fear do things in a religious realm because they're afraid not to. If I don't do this and this and this just that way, something bad's going to happen to me. No. That's not the fear of God we're talking about. There is a, another in the presence of God or avoid the presence of God. Kind of fear that haunts us. Not the kind of fear God wants from us. Perfect love casts out all fear. And God is love. And so God comes to dispel that kind of cowardly fear, cringing fear, that wonders whether God is really going to come down on us and destroy us. But there's a spiritual fear that's a reverence and a respect. And we stand in awe of the Lord because he created all things. Without him, there was not one thing made that is made. All things were created by him and for him. And the, the greatest miracle of all is that creator left his place of authority and rulership became a baby who was raised in the home of a carpenter and was nailed to the cross.
that's even a bigger miracle than the creation. To me, the redemption of man is more astounding than the creation of the universe. Gypsy Smith was an evangelist of a few years ago and even in his later days was filled with enthusiasm and filled with life and someone asked him, how do you maintain this dimension of life? And he said to them, I have never lost the wonder. The problem with the people in Malachi's day, they had lost the wonder of it all. We need to focus again on how big God really is. His creative ability, but the vastness of his love that produced Calvary. Hallelujah, that the creator himself became born of a virgin, lived among us, tabernacled among us, gave his life for one reason, so he could enjoy fellowship with us and we could enjoy fellowship with him. Hallelujah. They that feared the Lord. And when we lose that sense of reverence, although he is accessible, instantly accessible to us, he's still God, friends. He's not our good buddy or the man upstairs. He is still God. And I think if, if there's a danger, there is in the fact that familiarity breeds contempt. There needs to be a distance between us and the ark, as there was in Israel's day. And when Uzzah reached out to touch the ark, there was death because there needed to be respect and reverence and a holiness. He said to Moses, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. And born out of the revelation of who God was, there was the miraculous ministry that followed. I think the prerequisite for the supernatural is an appreciation for the dimensions of our deity, of who he is, fearing the Lord. Verse 16, they spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And the book of remembrance was written. It's interesting that it follows on the heels of, your words are stout against me. And the words that they have said, what use is it to serve God? Those who are proud are blessed, those who are wicked are delivered. God heard that. He was hurt by it. But there were those who feared him that spoke often. He heard that. He hearkened unto that. It says something to us this morning, church. God is listening in to our conversation. He hears what we have to say. It says, And a book of remembrance was written for those who thought on upon him his name. I'm convinced this morning of this very fact that not only does he listen to our words, but the words we do not say, he hears and knows our thoughts. 
There have been times I have prayed silently in my mind and God has answered me. God helped me. I was not in a place where I could pray audibly, but there was in my mind, I was praying to God. I need direction, I need wisdom, I need help, and he answered me. I believe he hears my thoughts. He keeps a book of remembrance. And I wonder this morning how much of our conversation this week would you be glad to have recorded in his diary. Wow. And our thoughts that are recorded as a book of remembrance, if we fear the Lord. They shall be mine, saith the Lord, in that day when I make up my jewels. I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serveth him. There's more here than we are going to be able to cover, but just let me say this. What is the most precious thing to God? To us, we would say gold, silver, emeralds, diamonds, rubies, jasper, onyx, crystallite, pearl. Those things are building materials to God. That's what he constructs his house out of. Sometime at your convenience, read Revelation 21, and you will see the equivalent, gold equals asphalt. He paves the streets with it. The gates of iron or brass, he uses pearls for that. Plaster, he uses jasper. Foundations of emeralds and rubies and diamonds are the concrete footer. What then would he keep in his jewelry box? What is valuable to the Lord? You. You. He didn't come to enrich himself with gold or silver or onyx or diamonds or rubies. He came because he would make you his jewel. You are his peculiar treasure. Bought with a price more expensive than any other price ever paid. And we have the reminder of it on the table his precious blood that makes you worth more than everything else in the universe let me tell you that the dimensions of the whole heavens we talked about Peter said are going to roll up like a scroll the heavens and earth are going to pass away all of it will be set aside he's going to make a new heaven a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. But the only thing that's going to survive that all is his jewels. Wow! <laughs> I feel good about that.
when he comes to make up his jewels. But it are, are those who have identified themselves or can be identified by those who feared the Lord. The next chapter opens with the fact that the day comes, they shall burn as an oven. All the proud, all the wicked, these people that the church was saying, they're God's favorite. If anybody's getting along real good, it's these people. God was just showing them the end result. The final day hasn't come yet. Those people that they were looking at and saying, God's favoring them. No. The identical kinds of people that they were talking about in verse 13 are the same people that are being identified here. The proud and the wicked shall be burned up to ashes. David said, Then learned I their end. Well, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Then understood I their end. We can't make that kind of premature judgments in the midst of life. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. How many farmers do we have here, and you've seen a calf of the stall? One, two, three, four. For all you city slickers, <laughs> a calf of the stall is one who is not left out to run in the pasture, but is kept confined in his stall. Water is brought to him, food is brought to him, and he is cared for in that stall. He is confined there constantly. When they're out, they don't grow as fast or as fat as if they are kept confined. How many have seen the calf left out of the stall? Of course, they are very dignified. They are very conservative. They're very reserved. They walk very slowly out of the barn and graze quietly. No, friend. They invented the Jericho march. They run and they jump and they kick and they frolic and they enjoy a freedom they have not enjoyed before. Some of the translations that you have will read as a calf let out of its stall. Oh, friend. I believe when that day comes, and I just wonder this morning if our brother Paul Carrick isn't kicking up his heels this morning like a calf let out of his stall and enjoying a freedom and a liberty that he has been limited by this human flesh for 74 years and now for eternity he's free. Hallelujah, to move in a realm that we don't know about, that we can only have glimpses about like a calf let out of a stall. No more confining, no more restrictions, no more uh, bondage, but 
freedom. Hallelujah. Of course, I'm sure he's very dignified, and when he sees Jesus face to face, he's just going to say, I am so delighted to be present on this occasion. <laughs> no, the Bible says it's going to sound like Niagara Falls, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty thundering, will the praise ascend to the one who is worthy to receive all praise, all glory, and all honor. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to seeing him, loving him, worshiping him, and being a part of whatever magnificent kingdom he has forever and forever and forever. Let's fear God. Let's be a people who fear God. And it'll manifest itself in the way we talk, the way we think. It'll manifest itself in the way we acknowledge him as the owner. We're the steward, and it is required of a steward to be found faithful. I want to hear him say it, don't you? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Father, I pray you'll bless these thoughts to our heart today. Bless our time of fellowship that we share at this table. And may we again appreciate